as they're making their way out, let me encourage you to turn to 1 John chapter 4. Now, Barry, I don't think you qualify, friend. <clears throat> Some of you will look at the sermon title and immediately make reference to uh, an 80s movie, Ghostbusters. We're here this morning to say, we ain't afraid of no ghost. And the truth is, when you talk about the Holy Spirit in a Baptist church, you may be standing on thin ice. Because we're afraid something crazy is going to happen when you talk about the Holy Spirit. So I'm here this morning at the very beginning to say, boo! Get it out of the way. There's not going to be anything crazy that's going to happen when we talk about the Holy Spirit. Because in many ways, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we speak about the Holy Spirit in a way that dishonors Him. Because we need to understand what the Holy Spirit's role is. The Holy Spirit did not come that we make much of Him. The Holy Spirit came so that we make much of Christ. And we're going to talk about this this morning. Today we're going to take a little bit of a new approach to our conversation about 1 John and how to live an authentic Christian life for God. That's a great question to ask this morning. Is are we genuinely living the Christian life the way God intended? When Jesus says, I came to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly, Are you experiencing abundant life, or are you experiencing um, mere life? You're surviving. You're above ground. You're breathing. But abundant life? What is that? So we've talked about some great truths as we've walked through 1 John. We've talked about uh, maybe one of my favorites is that we have the opportunity not just to have fellowship with brothers and sisters in Christ, But that fellowship is a picture of our fellowship with God. How awesome is that? That the love that we share as a church family should be a small picture of God's love for His people. We've talked about the fact that God has adopted us. What an incredible truth that that is. That none of us are born into God's family, but that we are, by Christ, through His Spirit, adopted into God's family. We're told specifically that we uh, have the power to walk in the light and to not just know forgiveness of sins, but to experience what it means for our sins to be forgiven. And we know from experience that this power that we have to enjoy all these things that God gives to us, fellowship, adoption, forgiveness, walking in the light, we don't have the ability to conjure that up in ourselves. Left to ourselves, we will always sin. Even the good things we will do, we will do for a bad motive. And so how do we experience the abundant life that Christ talks about? It doesn't come from us. It comes to us from God by His Spirit who lives within us and provides us the power to obey, to love, to believe the truth. This morning, as we talk about what it means to be spiritual people, John provides a stern warning to us. He's telling us that Christians should not just be people who are a little bit better than their neighbor, like it's an issue of morality. The Christian faith is really not about morality at all. 
It's about being spiritual people who seek to live for God, not people who have determined how high or low your skirt can be, you know, or what kind of tie you should wear on Sunday. It's not about man-made rules. It's about living a life that is pleasing to God. So his first thing that he's telling us is that Christians must be spiritual people. But he says in being spiritual people, be very careful what spirit you are listening to. So look with me at 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. John, the beloved apostle, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says this, Beloved, sweet people, dear children, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. John begins with a command. And you can see the command right here in your translation. Do not believe every spirit. We live in a day and age where if something is spiritual, it's automatically assumed to be good. John is saying here, don't believe every spirit. Just because it's in the spiritual self-help section of Barnes & Noble doesn't mean it's good for your soul. Just because it makes Oprah's book club doesn't mean that it's has anything to do with Christian orthodoxy. John is saying, don't, don't be so focused on the spiritual that you read Deepak Chopra or you read Joel Osteen. You have to understand what it is. You have to discern whether what that spirit is teaching is something that accords with the scriptures. So it's saying as long as we are discerning, spiritual is good. But you have to understand John commands us, don't believe every spirit because not everything that is spiritual is helpful. We're not only commanded to test the spirits, but we're told why. Why? And verse 1, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We have to remember when we talk about the spiritual, we don't just make reference to the Holy Spirit when we talk about spirituality. One thing we all know as Christians is that in addition to the Holy Spirit, what other kind of spirit is out there? Evil spirits. We see them all throughout Jesus' ministry. Now, they don't show up with tooth and fang and they don't hide under your bed, but they make themselves evident in our society in ways that if we're not careful, we can be susceptible to. We cannot uncritically accept all spiritual teaching. And, and, and let me say this just as, as carefully as I can. We live in a day and age where access to Christian teaching is unprecedented in the United States. Some of you tech folks can download podcasts, and um, you might even have a little thing in your ear right now, and you're listening to your favorite preacher, you know? You're just showing up here because you're expected to be here. Listen, just because they're number one on iTunes doesn't mean that they're worth listening to. If they don't take seriously the word of God, don't sit down at their table to eat what they're cooking up. I am fully aware as a preacher that I don't use enough preacher stories. I don't make you all laugh enough. But you know, I just have to believe in my heart that when I stand before God and he holds me accountable for what I do at this sacred desk, he's not going to say, you know what, Scott? I wish you would have cracked a few more jokes. Listen, I like to laugh. I'm, I'm a prankster. Um, 
I, 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 get, I, I get some joy out of that just like the next person. But when it comes to breaking the bread of life, the teaching ministry of the church is deadly important. And so we have to understand that just because they're popular and all of our friends like them on Facebook doesn't mean that they are providing food for our soul. Now, some people think that when it, when it comes to having faith, that that means that there is no thinking allowed. We take it on faith, not on rationality. Well, there's two truths for us to avoid as we think about this danger that John is telling us in our first point. He's telling us not to let any spirit teach us. We have to be discerning and make sure that the teaching we're getting is from the Holy Spirit, not to let any spirit teach us. There are two ditches, so to speak, on either side of the road of the pathway of righteousness. On the one side, we have to avoid a superstitious gullibility that believes anything that is spiritual. Listen, just because the Christian bookstore sells it doesn't mean that it's good. I am brokenhearted at the junk I see in most Christian bookstores. Appalling. We need to avoid a superstitious gullibility that believes everything. But on the other hand, we have to avoid a suspicious cynicism that doesn't believe anything. The Bible says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And if they're from God, what's the implication? Listen to them. Don't listen to them. Listen to them. So we have to be open to listening to God, but we must also be discerning. And this is a strange play on words. But in some ways, unbelief, when it comes to false teaching, is a sign of spiritual maturity. Now, some of y'all got to think about that for a minute. Somebody says, hey, believe this. This is the truth. And you know it's not the truth. If you are practicing unbelief related to that mistruth, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. You're, you're practicing discernment. So in some ways, unbelief related to false truth is a sign of spiritual maturity. So John begins by warning us, don't let any spirit teach you. But he goes on in verses 2 and 3. Beyond simply being wary, we must be discerning. And John tells us to test the spirits. And then he offers us a very helpful one question final exam. John says we must test what a spirit confesses about Christ. We must test what a spirit confesses about Christ. And he specifically asks us to examine what that spirit does in relationship to its testimony about Jesus. Look with me at verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming and now is already in the world. When we start talking about the spiritual, that's really kind of abstract. If you're a sci-fi fan, you might start thinking of Yoda and the Force. You might start thinking of uh, somebody reading tarot cards, Ouija boards, spiritual stuff. 
saw a fascinating clip on YouTube the other day. It was, uh, happened, in, happened in Europe. I don't know if Europeans are more gullible. Happened in Europe, in uh, Belgium. And people were told that they, they were being interviewed for a potential role on a television program. And, and, and they were airing a program with a, a man who professed to be a mind reader. And so it was all televised, and they would go in, and this guy would read their mind. He wouldn't read in their palm, he was reading their mind. And because it was a television show, the, the unsuspecting participant pulled off the street, had a little you know, microphone thingy, and, and the man sitting at the table had a little microphone thingy so you could hear the conversation. And he was telling them all kinds of really interesting truths about them. So, um, how's your torn muscle? It's getting better. That's weird. He knows I've got a torn muscle. Yeah, I'm, seeing, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing a bank account with a negative balance. You spent $300 on clothes last week? Do you know your bank account number? Because I do. Five, eight, seven. Oh my goodness. People were in awe at this man's ability who these people are randomly pulled off the street and he is telling them all kinds of intimate details about their life. Not just the things that you can readily find on Facebook, but things that they haven't even posted about. So the, he's going on, and, and at every step of the point, he's getting more specific, more detailed, more intimate. And people are really beginning to feel uncomfortable. And then at, at the moment of um, revelation, a, a curtain falls down, and you see behind him six men at various computer screens pulling up everything that they can about these people, and they're relaying it to the mind reader through his microphone. The point was... Uh, Everything about you is online. Are you being safe? It was about identity theft. But the point is this too. How, what was the guise that he used to show people that they weren't safe? Spirituality. I, through being in connection with a higher power, can read your mind. I'm just telling you, if, if someone professes to a spirituality that doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, sin, cross, Resurrection, righteousness, it's baloney. And you need to run from it. And so the truth is, while spiritual stuff may be abstract, a spirit always makes itself clear in its doctrine and its morality. What does it teach? How does it encourage you to live? And there is no question what Holy Spirit teaching will encourage you to do. It will encourage you to believe true truth, and it will encourage you to live righteously. Evil spirits might hide in the shadows, but they always make their influence clear. If you pick up a good book that's encouraging in your spiritual life, and it encourages you to break off your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, to look to another authority besides the Bible for inspiration... I can guarantee you that's not a book you need to keep in your life. It's not. This idea of testing is important. And think about this for a second. When, it, when we talk about evil spirits, in the Gospels, Jesus was a very spiritual man, and he had encounters with spirits all over the place. He would heal people. He would cast out demons. And what was the one thing the demons always got right when they encountered Christ? They knew who he was. The disciples... They didn't always know who Jesus was. But the demons 
always were orthodox in saying, Jesus, Son of God, what have I to do with you? Demons knew the truth. They just weren't willing to acknowledge it. So this issue of testing is important. Demons know their Bible better than the most consistent Sunday school goer, better than the best Sunday school teacher. They just refuse to acknowledge Christ's lordship. And what makes their influence so insidious is that they never repented, even though they knew the truth. Demons are orthodox. They believe in the incarnation. They met him. They believe in Jesus' preexistence. They believe in his atonement. They just don't acknowledge Christ as king. Even though they knew they were beaten, they would never give it up. And so this, the danger of, of listening to evil spirits is important. Well, not only are they dangerous in their objective, they're dangerous in their, they're dangerous in their method. Listen, if a guy with horns, red skin, and a fork tail and a pitchfork showed up here this morning, none of us would listen to him, would we? That's why he doesn't come like that. That's why he comes in the form that you're going to listen to. He comes in a form that's more attractive to you. Listen, if sin, if sin had a skull and crossbones over it all the time, would any of us ever mess with it? No. Poison. Pirates. Danger. Whatever it is that the skull and crossbone communicates to you, you know, don't mess with it. The problem with sin is that it's attractive. It's appetitive. I don't, I don't need a cream puff this morning. Man, that looks good. I don't need another woman in my life. Man, she's younger. I don't, I don't need controlled substance, but boy, it really helps me relax. It's attractive. And that's the problem, is deceptive. The deceptive nature of the evil spirit's influence uh, makes them a danger to us. Evil spirits don't deny Jesus outright. They just misrepresent what it means to follow Jesus. You can follow Jesus and do this. Did God really say, don't touch this tree, don't eat from it? You can do it. Instead, they twist the truth in order to deceive. And let's look here quickly at how they deceive. Now, I am not the person to uh, talk about mathematics. You'll see it on the board here. It's in your outline. I'm not a math teacher, but this is like lowest common denominator mathematics. When it comes to false teaching, they do one of four things. Uh, number one, the mathematics of false teaching is, uh, firstly, that they add authorities. They add authorities either by prophet, prophetess, or pen. They add to something beyond the scriptures. They say the scriptures plus Muhammad. Scriptures plus the Quran. The scriptures plus the pearl of great price. The the scriptures plus something. They add authorities. Number two, they subtract from the person or work of Christ. Something about Jesus isn't enough Something about Jesus' work is not sufficient, and they subtract from who Christ is. Jesus wasn't really God. He was just an enlightened human being. They're subtracting from his person or work. Thirdly, they multiply the requirements for salvation. There's only one thing you need to be saved. Only one thing. And so they tell you that you must do a pilgrimage. You must spend two years as a missionary. You must do something else. You must do, go knocking door to door. You have to do something. They multiply the requirements for salvation. 
But their ultimate goal, D, is that they divide allegiance from God alone. They divide allegiance from God alone. So if you didn't like math before, here's plenty of reason to not not like math when it comes to false teaching. Watch out for how they add, subtract, multiply, and divide. It's important to draw a contrast between what the Holy Spirit does and what these false spirits do. We have to ask ourselves, what is the primary role of the Holy Spirit? Jesus says he sends the Holy Spirit to testify about him. And so any church or denomination that highlights the ministry of the Holy Spirit higher than the esteem to which Jesus Christ has hold does not accord with what the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit's role is. Now, I say that with all humility because I, I don't intend to cast stones at any other church or any other denomination. But the Holy Spirit is not bashful, but he is meek. And he came not to glorify himself, but to glorify the Son of God. Listen to these scriptures, John 14, 16 through 17. Jesus says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of the truth. The Spirit of the truth. Well, who is the truth? According to John 14, 7, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So who is this spirit of the truth? It's someone who came to testify to the person who is truth, to Jesus. He is the spirit of the truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. John 14, 26, but the helper... The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to teach us anything new but what Jesus has already taught us. Listen, our, our problem is not that we need new knowledge. Our problem is that we need to put into practice what Jesus has already told us. John fifteen twenty six. when the Helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of the truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. In John 16, 13 through 14, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. There's a wonderful order and symmetry to the relationships in the Trinity. God the Father sends the Son. And when the Son gets to the Garden of Gethsemane, right before His crucifixion that we will celebrate, you remember what Jesus prayed? Oh, Father, if it's Your will, let's do something else. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what You will. Jesus was God, but He submitted Himself to the Father. The Holy Spirit, he's God too. But he submits himself to the ministry of Jesus Christ. What a beautiful thing to see, that kind of order and symmetry in the Trinity. In our passage, look specifically at what the Holy Spirit says about who Jesus is. We see this blatantly in verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh, who confesses that Jesus 
is the Christ who has come in the flesh. Wow, there's just a ton here. The name Jesus is our Lord's human name given to him by his mother and stepfather. This refers to Jesus' humanity. Jesus was 100% human. Christ is his title as the anointed and appointed Messiah of God, pointing to his deity. Jesus was 100% God. 100% man, 100% God. But not only is he man and God, this says he has come. It doesn't say he was born. We have to be careful how we sing about Christmas. Jesus was not born the same way you and I were because he existed before he was born. I like the way John says it. He has come, implying that he existed before he got here. He had to come from somewhere. Powerful truth in this one little verse. He is in the flesh. He wasn't an apparition. He wasn't a spirit. He was in the flesh. The incarnation is true. He didn't appear but was in the flesh. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ who has come in the flesh is from God. And if we deny Jesus' total humanity, perfect deity, uh, if we deny his, in, his pre-existence or his incarnation, we have left the reservation of Christian truth. Every spirit that affirms fully and gladly that Jesus is who the Bible claims that he is, is from God. So having faith is not simply an issue of sincerity. There are a lot of people who have faith. There's a lot of people who have faith in the wrong thing. And we do believe that you can believe what you want to believe sincerely. We also believe that you can be sincerely wrong. You can believe it with great passion. It doesn't make it any truer. If it does not accord with this. And so John is saying loudly that a Christian believes the truth about who Jesus is and that believing sound doctrine is one of the chief marks of a spirit-filled Christian. And this is not all that we could say on testing the spirits. Listen, Jehovah's Witnesses, um, uh, the Muslim faith as we know it now, Latter-day Saints, Mormons, they weren't around when John was writing this. But he's simply telling us that the bellwether, the standard against which we measure other teaching is what do they believe about who Jesus Christ is. Because if they get it wrong there, they get it wrong everywhere. Now, they might be supporters of the family. That's a great thing. But just because they get something right doesn't mean they get it right for the right reason. God in his grace just allowed them to stumble upon it because their doctrine doesn't lead them there for the right reason. Thirdly, when we understand what Jesus has done for us, it's easy for us to recognize we must glory in God's work on our behalf in verse 4. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them. In a verse we've all learned when we were kids. We have overcome why? Because greater is he who is in you than he's in the world. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. In these verses, 4, 5, and 6, John is drawing uh, contrast. Look at how 4, 5, and 6 begin. Verse 4, you are from God. Verse 5, they are from the world. Verse 6, we are from God. Emphatically, 
John is telling us to remember our heritage. Because of Jesus, we are adopted by God and are in his family. But we're told something else that's amazing. We're told that in this realm of false spirits, we have overcome them. Now, as I greeted people this morning and asked them how their week was, I didn't have a single soul that said, you know what? I was overcoming false spirits all week long. I got it done. False spirits on Monday, boom. False spirits on Tuesday, not a problem. False spirits on three, not for me. The Bible says in Christ, we have overcome them because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. But there's something that we have to remember here. This is not a verse to puff up our pride, is it? Why have we overcome? Because we're good enough, smart enough, and people like us? Because we know how to win friends and influence people. Because, you know, we did our quiet time seven days a week. No. Nothing that you have done has made you an overcomer. We have overcome because greater are we, greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. We are not overcomers because we're more learned or skilled in philosophy. We are not overcomers because we're really good debaters. We're, we're not, we're not <laughs> overcomers because we're really, really smart. We're overcomers because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Satan was defeated forever. And while he may not be willing to wave the white flag, we can know that we have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. So God not only warns us of danger, he encourages us to make much of Christ. He tells us that our faith in Christ is what provides victory over the evil spirits around us. And this gives us confidence. Why be scared of sharing the gospel with your coworker when greater is he who is in you than he who may be in them? You've won. There's no room for intimidation when it comes to living out our faith. We have an overcoming God that we serve. And so while we're promised ultimate victory, and we are to work for the expansion of God's kingdom here on earth, we have to realize the contrast between the audiences in verse 5 and 6. They are from the world, therefore, they speak as from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. He concludes, how do we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error? Depends on who you listen to. Kind of brings us full circle to what we started off with. Don't believe every spirit. Who are you listening to? The contrast here is, they're from the world, they speak from the world, they listen to the world. We are from God, we speak as from God, we listen to God. The simple truth is that God's people listen to him, and the world's people listen to the devil. Jesus himself says this in John 10. The Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're Christ, tell us. And Jesus answered them, I told you, but you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them. And they follow me. I give them eternal life. And they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
If there is anything that should define God's people globally, if there's anything that should define God's people in Rock Hill, if there's anything that should define God's people at Northside Baptist Church, it should be that there is a link between God's word, God's spirit, and God's people. We should love God's spirit that enables us to live for him. We should love God's word that gives us instruction and encouragement every day that we avail ourselves from it. Because God's people are people who listen to his voice through his spirit, through his word. And those two messages aren't different. The spirit speaks through the word. The question for us this morning is, are we listening? My goal as a teacher and a preacher kind of a tough one because I am charged to never preach anything new. If I preach something new, uh, personnel committee, y'all need to run me out of here because if it's not there, it has no business in our pulpit. I'm, I'm to teach stuff that's 2,000 years old and nothing newer because you know what? The Spirit's not giving out new books of the Bible. Jesus isn't dying again for us today. We have a historical faith And we are supposed to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That's a tough thing because you all have read this book. You've heard many sermons. But God's people still listen to his voice. And one great truth that I would challenge us with this morning as we consider whether we are listening to God is this. If we take this whole message that we've listened to about being overcomers because of what Christ has done and God's people listening to his voice, you need to examine your own life for what you're listening to, how you're obeying the voice of the master. Let me challenge you on this. We have had, God has graced us with many visitors in our worship service. And if his sheep hear his voice, what can we rest assured of if we have visitors among us? Now, their ears might be plugged up a little bit and they might not be hearing everything that they need to hear. But they're hearing the master's call to come and be a part of his family. And churches need to do much more to prepare for those sheep that are coming. People don't end up in church by accident. Now, they might have a drug problem. Their grandma might drag them to church. Their spouse might drag them to church. But people who come here don't end up by accident. It's because the master has sent a call out into the world for people to believe the truth about the gospel. And they're coming. The question is whether we're ready for them or not. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you for these great truths about your spirit and about his ministry and about how he reminds us of the unique work that Christ has done for us. We thank you so much for your work on the cross. And as we have the opportunity to celebrate your supper, we give you great thanks for your suffering and atoning death for us on the cross. This morning, if there are people who are listening to your voice for the first time, I ask that in these next few minutes as this song plays, that we might be able to welcome new sheep into the fold, new members into the family. Lord, also, if there are people who are hearing your voice and there is conviction of sin, that today might be an opportunity for them to make things right with you. So as we sing our song of invitation, 
I invite uh, whosoever will to come to do their business with God in Jesus' name. Amen.